All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Epic Phelan Podcast. Today we have with us special guest host, The Necronaut. The Necronaut is a metal and hard rock DJ. You might know him from the Rock Inn in Norway and from his radio show, The Necronaut's Crypt of Terror. And with us, we have our special guest, Dan Soano. Dan Soano is a metal icon best known for Edge of Sanity, Nightingale, and his mixing and mastering studio, Unisound. Hello, Dan. Hello, Ryan, <laughs> and hello, Mike. Hey, this this whole situation seems a little bit familiar. This whole situation seems a little <laughs> bit familiar. Maybe we'll we'll visit that in a little bit. <laughs> so so if the audience is listening, what happened is we got going on this podcast episode, and about. 20 to 30 minutes into it, Ryan Epic Phelan found out that he wasn't recording it. <laughs> so we're, we're back at square one here. You know what? I think that's a perfect time for you to ask the question that you wanted to ask about the, if Dan ever made a, an epic fail. Hey, okay, all right. All right, Dan, have you ever had an epic fail when it comes to uh, either mixing or mastering or any of your musical ventures? Oh yeah, there's been plenty of epic fails. I think the biggest and probably most well-documented epic fail is when we were forming Bloodbath around 20 years ago. I invited Anderson Jonas from Catatonia down and they brought Mike from Opeth with them. And uh, I had this um, day job at the time where I was um, kind of in charge of, of studio equipment and stuff like that. And when... When the new Game Changer came on the market, it was kind of my job to learn that thing and, and sell it, you know. So I brought it on myself to bring it down to my little studio that I had after I closed Unisound. Uh, it was called The Sanctuary. And this piece of machinery was called the VS-1680 from Roland. And it was the top dog in this kind of recording digital thing, all included uh, in, in the same box. And... Um, yeah, we had a great time. We wrote and recorded two songs and I made like a rough mix on cassette and, um, you know, we, we had some fun and then I the guys went home and I said, okay, I, I will mix this stuff and um, I will send you this when I'm ready. And they were like, oh, cool, had a great time, blah, blah, blah. I go down to the studio and push a few buttons here and there on this and I just delete everything. Oh, no. Completely gone, the whole recording we did. The only existing thing are those pretty... Okay sounding, but still, it's a fucking cassette rough mix, you know. Yeah, it was just gone. I uh, did too many undos or whatever, and you cannot redo on this machine like you can on a computer now. So once you undid something, it was gone. It was like pushing like format C colon, you know. And that was just like such an epic fail because it was almost the end of Bloodbath right then and there before anything really happened, you know. But I felt that was that was actually a pretty cool two song thing we did and it might be you know that we could re-record them so i i did not buy that piece of gear <laughs> uh, i did however recommend it to a lot of people but i never bought uh -huh. it myself and uh, i told them to stay away from the undo button yeah we recorded on another format and you know the rest is history with with bloodbath all right on that's a a massive epic fail 
really you know <laughs> that would be that would be a massive epic fail so i don't feel i don't feel as bad now <laughs> i don't feel as bad now no i, I actually uh there there have been times when when there have been like um when you were recording and stuff that you accidentally deleted something or you did some other stupid shit uh a lot of that kind of you know hard drives breaking and that kind of shit but yeah that it's never fun when it happens but in this case i have no problem i like talking about myself <laughs> <laughs> nice so so you've mentioned bloodbath some other projects that you've been involved in again edge of sanity what got you going into that heavier style of music you know i grew up with two older brothers one 10 year older and one 16 year older than me and they were into kind of hard rock and they they seem to like a little bit of the darker hard rock and actually huge fan of canadian hard rock for some reason it was it seems to be a little bit different than the american and the english i think it was around the time that i got scared from some of the stuff that they played me including the there's a track called genocide on the sad wings of destiny album from from judas priest that scared the living fuck out of me there's like a sequence where like sin after sin I have endured, like with a really evil voice, you know, and I was so scared of this, but I somehow I was drawn to this, to the darkness of that record. You know, I mean, the album cover, the pictures on the back, the whole vibe was like, like a scary movie, but music. <laughs> so somewhere, you know, in the back of my mind, something was, was growing, but I was also super much into like progressive rock and AOR and really light, nice and friendly music. So there's kind of a Jekyll Hyde thing going, you know. I think I also discovered Merciful Fate. They were actually also an important factor that I will a bit later on, on dive a little bit deeper into this dark thing. But I think the reason why it, it, it took me up until like I was 15 to finally, you know, get into it was because... All the stuff I heard was, was lacking some of those. I mean, I was kind of a music snob already in my pre-teens. You know, I liked stuff to have a good sound, almost be super players. They had good songs, good hooks. You know, that came with the territory from, from the shit that I liked. And I think when I heard stuff like Slayer, South of Heaven, where they were not playing so fast all the time, but the darkness was there, the vibe was there, and the drums were so good, you know, and... Um, I met then a guy called Michael Bulin, who was playing in a local band called Attention. And together we would later on form a band called Brain Dead. And we would just secretly sneak down to the rehearsal room of Unicorn. And I would play drums and he would play kind of a thrash metal rhythm guitar. Uh, he was a drummer from Attention, but he, he was kind of fancying himself as a rhythm guitar player in that style. And we started writing songs and they all... They all have something with ugly in the title. It's actually released on, on double vinyl uh, a couple of years back, the, the complete works of, of Braindead. It's kind of a crossover, we call it joke core, a bit in the vein of Wehrmacht meets, you know, MOD, SOD, all that kind of stuff. And through that, when Tony Serke, later in Abruptum and Optolemia, joined Braindead, he was already into Venom and that kind of stuff. And we started a little bit to feel the vibe that something was growing in the underground. We were doing gigs with Braindead and there would be bands, you know, kind of in the support bands or whatever, or we were the support band to, to a bigger, more aggressive band and you would just see the, the guys with a with leather jacket with some weird logo on the back, you know, and you saw the Nihilist demos and all that kind of stuff. And we felt something was brewing, but 
it was still a little bit too too rough for me. But uh, around the time that I heard uh, leprosy from from death, also slowly be wrought from obituary, especially the vocals, was a big time for me because that's when I heard the the kind of stuff that was more. I mean, especially leprosy from death is a very well produced yet super raw album, you know, with the triggered drums and uh, the the really kind of big landscape vibe from a big-ass studio. It was like properly produced, yet it was brutal as fuck and um, not overly complicated, you know. I did, I never cared really for all these middly, middly, middly riffs, you know. I want my shit to be simple and, and straightforward. And there are very few riffs on Leprosy that you cannot repeat as a guitar player upon hearing it like, for one round, you know, it's like, oh, those those four notes, I know them, you know, boom, you know, the riff. And you could also sing along to almost every chorus. You would run around like screaming, pull the plug or you are still alive, left to die. You know, all these, they were like, you know, hits. And that that that's what I needed to be kind of fully convinced that that's my thing, you know, to dive straight into that new kind of brewing strange thing that would later on be really like death metal you know that's how it was for me huh so saying that along with edge of sanity i'm going to refer to the necronaut on this necronaut your favorite edge of sanity song oh yeah without a doubt crimson right the crimson crimson one of course so (laughs) a 40 a 40 minute song uh, has a lot of uh you know competition both with one yeah yeah, one and one and both one and two are masterful. Thank you. <laughs> and for the yeah, you're welcome. And for those that for those that don't know, Crimson, at least for me, was the first forty minute song that I've ever heard anywhere, let alone a forty minute death metal song. What inspired you to do this? I mean, I grew up on that kind of stuff. Uh, I just came off um, the John Michelliar albums, Oxygen and Equinox. There's the Mike Oldfield incantations. There are plenty of albums in in the progressive rock world where you have this kind of stuff. And, and there's all kind of concept albums that, that to me, they kind of melt together as one, you know. And I just wanted to do something like that, but I, I never seemed to, to be able to do it. And then I heard uh, Mike from Opeth, he, he mentioned it when we were recording the first Opeth album that he wanted to do like a one track album. And I, of course I stole it, you know, straight. It's like, sorry, Mike, but <laughs> I was feeling that Edge of Sanity had kind of come full circle in a way there. And I didn't really know what, what we were supposed to do. I felt the idea to make like a one track album was cool because I didn't have to come up with like 10 choruses and 10 cool intro riffs, you know? So, the guys, you know, who came more from like a um, heavy metal and punk hardcore crossover background, maybe they didn't really have the experience that I had with, with listening to this kind of stuff. But I guess at the end of the day, they saw this kind of, okay, that's, that makes it easier for, for all of us. You know, we just uh, decided to um, sit down in a studio in, in, in like a half circle in the control room, just facing each other and just started riffing, you know. Yeah, the opening riff from Crimson is actually a recycled riff from The Breathing Shadow that I had done the year before. It's kind of my guitar is tuned in the same way like I tuned my guitar on on The Breathing Shadow, which is a very strange open chord tuning. 
and the uh, other two guitar players they were doing drop A, which was pretty low at the time. But 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 the strings were were really thick, so um, you still have that kind of vibe that it wasn't going out of tune all the time. And um, yeah, and, and then we just kept writing and writing and and after that first riff kind of faded out i played some strummy nice part and then it kicked in and we just kept going and going and, and then i remember uh andreas or dread as he was called was like oh when we're gonna stop with this fucking pink floyd shit and play some fucking metal <laughs> <laughs> and i was like ah i could go on forever with this pink floyd shit and then we wrote the first fast bit you know on crimson and and that was just like that just was written on the spot. Nobody had any ideas apart from my kind of self ripoff from the intro riff. All the other shit was brand new writing. No old ideas floating around. You just written with the vibe of the ideas that came before. You know. I mean, we wrote the whole thing in in like twenty four hours. It was so oh, really. Yeah, it was amazing, and we recorded it extremely fast as well. And uh, what took the longest time was, um, I think, writing the lyrics took more time than writing the music. And also the mix took like fucking forever because it was still on analog tape. And uh, yeah, not, not really not really easy uh, at all to, to get it to make sense, you know. And vocal recordings were rough because of a lot of clean stuff on there also and a lot of growlings. And, and even back then I had like physical problems after growling, you know, I had to wait for a long time before my throat was back in action to to do the cleans and sometimes you didn't plan oh shit i forgot to do those cleans and you had to wait a week i was was chaos and uh yeah but it turned out pretty cool in the end you know it's uh it's one of those records that that when you presented the idea to to the label they were just like oh okay and they they had a problem because it turned up to to be in the singles department what you say of, of the of the record shop you know you have the eps and the seven inch as well there's just one song on this one let's put it over here you know together with the the latest wham single or whatever <laughs> it's like oh fuck you know yeah but but it, it turned out okay you know it, it actually sold pretty well in sweden and uh got some pretty good reviews and definitely was the only album i've ever been involved with that before we had written any note people were talking about it because it was going to be one song for the minutes. And that was just like, wow, did you hear? Wow, 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 wow. You know, you don't get that kind of buzz, you know, oh, they're going to release an album with 10 songs on it. You know, no, like the one track, 40 minute death metal opera thing, you know, and people were super like, oh, it's that kind of sound, you know. But I think, I think listening to it, 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 it feels more like 22 and a half minutes than 40, which I think is, is actually a really good, Good thing. I think there are there are um, tracks that are fifteen minutes that feels like six weeks. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it's definitely interesting. And one of the things I do like about it is it's it kind of it forces you to to enjoy the whole the whole project because like growing up buying music was was a bit of a different process, wouldn't you say, Necronaut? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, more valued process than in what it is now. Yeah, it's like a more along lines that we go out you buy you know whether it's whether it's the vinyl or the cd and you have the the artworks that you could admire and and you can sit and kind of really absorb the whole the whole thing you read the lyrics as it's going and check out to see who you know any special guests are or who who's on what instruments and it's uh it was just a whole whole different process as to what it is now i find it's a dying art definitely and um it's a bit sad 
because I, I liked the, the old days, you know, when, when it was an adventure with the whole thing. But I guess, I don't know if the kids feel the same. Maybe it's like, wow, cool, the, the song is now on Spotify. Woohoo. And they have their, <laughs> you know, they have their thing with it. And they well, can look some uh, weird thing on YouTube, some lyric video. Maybe they get the kick. I mean, they don't know what, what we had, you know, in this time. But yeah, I'm quite happy that, that this whole vinyl thing came back because it, it also kind of made shit a little bit more visual again you know that that you could order like the stuff from the last witherscape record that was actually a full gatefold thing that i ordered from gula the artist who made it he was oh fuck it's not only this like a square no i need two squares i need it to be so the gatefold is the whole cover like on the old prog records and he was like, oh fuck that's the double work I, said, i don't care you know i need that you know you you didn't do that i mean you put some other crappy stuff on on the on the flip side of the booklet or on the back you took some piece of the album cover you know so this thing came back that there's a, this visual thing i want this to be back and the front should should all join together and this kind of stuff came back a little bit you know also what's inside the gatefold if you have one and the whole layout thing and not to mention all the different colors of vinyl it's like 600 different fucking colors wow. on the new release is like six in pink and 11 in blue and whatever and then they're sold out and everyone needs to buy all of them you know but yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely you, uh, it's a speak of that vinyl right you actually specifically master vinyl versus the cd yeah i, I have this uh this process since Not exactly sure when it happened. I mean, I kind of joined in on the whole loudness war thing. And I decided, you know, to be the loudest CD making guy in the world. And um, I actually got some shit pretty loud without it really sounding terrible. It sounded actually pretty good. But I got fan mail from some mastering guys asking, how oh, the fuck you get it so loud and it still sounds so good? Yeah, because you just mixed it loud. You didn't really master it. You just slammed shit you know <laughs> and that was it you know and the clients were still like louder louder I was like, oh fuck you know it's it's maxed out you know it's twice as loud as any album from the 80s <laughs> but um yeah and then i got some kind of uh, of complaints from other music lovers like yeah oh, this stuff sounds like shit you know it's too limited you just know dynamics blah 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 then i started thinking that okay maybe it's time to To go back to basics, how, how I did stuff in the 90s when you still mix down to a, to a DAT machine. You made the best mix you could. You were not thinking about this shit loudness war stuff to adapt the music to be as loud as other albums. You just make the best mix you can and that one goes on the vinyl. And then you make a louder version, that one goes on the CD. Some bands where there is one or two members of the band, they, they know that the mix without this loudness war adaption thing sounds way better and they try as hard as they can to keep the level down also on the cd to to not do too much of this digital limiting shit that actually destroys the sound and i mean there is no way for you as a normal like music consumer to know how the mix could have sounded if they were not mastering it to be extremely loud because Normally, the guy who make the mix, send it to the mastering guy. There is one master available and it's extremely loud. You remove maybe 10 decibel of dynamics and that's also the version used for vinyl. But in my case, 
I use actually the mix that sounds the best and it's 24 bit and it could be sometimes, you know, like 96 kilohertz or 48 or whatever. And that one goes on the vinyl. And in some cases that is also used for like streaming and, and downloads when the bands are smart. And in some cases, even with my own releases, I insisted that there is a CD in a special version with the full dynamic version and the louder version for the morons, you know, who don't want to hear the best sounding version. Because the problem here is that people don't understand how much worse you make a mix by making it louder, but nobody have the guts to all of a sudden start releasing powerful metal that is way more silent than the competition. It's just it's like going to come off as extremely powerless because volume is a very strong thing, you know, but it's like you need to raise awareness, but we have bigger problems in the world at the moment than the loudness. <laughs> you know, so. well, yeah, one or two. One or two. <laughs> <laughs> How is everything where you're at? We're lucky to be in Germany, where I live since 2012. And um, we caught the, the warning signs pretty early here and uh, made sure that, that people kept their distance and, you know, this whole home quarantine and all that stuff. And uh, we are at 0.7 in this kind of, there's a rate that should not be more than one. We're good. We're keeping it. And uh, they're slowly opening some stuff around here, trying to let people into Ikea. And then there's like a two-hour line on, on the highway only to get into Ikea because they let in like 500 people at a time and they need to keep the distance, you know. Oh, wow. It's a really strange thing, you know. To actually walk into a bank wearing a face mask and sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like, everyone's like, yeah, you're, you're doing it the right way. You know, you feel like, like Kiss in 1980, you know, <laughs> when they still have the makeup on. And you go shopping and it, it feels weird. My wife, she's a nurse, you know, and she's really in on the whole thing. Like, ah, oh, you wash your hands or wear your face mask and keep the distance. She's constantly, you know, making sure that, that when we're out walking or whatever, she like, people should keep their distance and this is she knows how this kind of virus shit really works you know and this one is extremely how do you call this infectious or whatever it's like really easy to spread compared to some other shit and yeah and, and sweden my native country they were a bit late too soft on the whole thing and i mm -hmm. guess parts of america is it's really nasty too i don't know how it i think canada was actually pretty cool also with this thing right to yeah, we were more kind of like what Norway was doing, where Sweden, they didn't really react. They see what, what happened in the rest of the world, and then they see if they, if they, if they will care or not. Yeah. It's like, huh? you, you, your friends were all, and now we're out to dinner, and now we do this and that. And, and here it's like everything is closed down. You cannot do anything. There are cancellations of, of tours and gigs, and everything is going to shit. And, oh, we're going out now and have a big party here. Show some heavy metal bar in Gothenburg online. There's like 50, 100 people drinking. And so, huh? Is this the same universe? I don't know what's going on here, you know? Yeah, we will see what, what's going on. Uh, I think you will always have a different thing. You know, when this kind of shit happens, countries will react differently. That's just how it is, you know? Oh, absolutely. And it, it will pass and it will, um, some things I'm sure will change, will change from it, but hopefully we can get back to, to getting some shows going. 
Yeah, because this, this live streaming stuff is not working that well. <laughs> yeah, we we tried to, to watch uh, my friends and clients in Insomnium and Omnium Gatherum. We were like, yeah, go live stream, you know. And we spent like hours trying to get online and it just crashed and nothing worked. And it's like, sorry, guys, we're going to film it. You know? <laughs> no. I'm not sure if it's a result of like the whole pandemic or whatnot, but you've been remastering stuff like Pantheimonium, for example. I haven't really lost anything apart from maybe one mastering job where the where all the members of the band were suddenly out of work like overnight (laughs) (laughs) because i think they were american or something and 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 in some words you know they all work kind of in this club or whatever you know closed down and there is no security blankets you know for these guys it's just like you're out of a job bye so this they decided to to do it themselves and there are some some really cool bands that I'm working with, but stuff takes uh, a lot longer for bands. There's this band from uh, from Iceland that I'm working with, and one of the guys is working also uh, with the biggest metal festival there. And of course, that one was cancelled. You know, so you cannot really blame guys. Oh, where are my fucking mix notes? You know, when his whole existence is is threatened. And uh, yeah, there there are some other. You know, like one band cannot record the vocals because they're like drives away it means they actually have to to break out of this quarantine thing you know it's all a little bit weird so it's important to keep my shops up you know i need to work all the time and um, i love to work so i just kind of um see what i've been going through a tape transfer period that was planned way before uh corona i've been transferring uh the spectral sorrows master tapes from Edge of Sanity, I've been transferring the, nice. the two Unicorn albums, master tapes, and it means you're going through a process called baking tapes, which has nothing to do with, with cake. <laughs> but uh, I did use a strange fruit dryer machine after looking up some stuff online. You, you summon th- these 30 plus year old tapes need to get back together somehow, because depending on how they were stored, they they kind of glue together in some weird way, you know. So you need to dry them, and then you have like a fifty Fahrenheit. I'm not sure if it's it's that. It's it's I'm pretty dodgy with the Fahrenheit, but but it worked, you know. You put them in this little oven thing, and it's on for like eight hours. They shed a lot of of magnetic stuff, and you have to clean the tape heads and all that shit. And I have an old Atari computer hooked up for all the MIDI stuff from the early 90s and I've been transferring all that shit in 24-bit 96 kilohertz for a rainy day you know before all these machines are gone I mean I'm lucky to have found the same type of machine that I recorded the stuff on in top condition with fully working playback heads and it was dirty as fuck but after (laughs) I clean it with like almost 100% alcohol and really scrub the fuck out of that machine it played back like it's new you know so it's really cool and before that I uh, transferred all the old four track cassette things because I found a mint condition four track Yamaha machine that I didn't really know existed which is like the even super cooler version of the one I used to record this shit in 1990 and 89 and so and I transfer all that stuff also in 24 bit 96 kilohertz for a rainy day and every now and then I just get the vibe you know and I think fuck let's remix the dawn demo today (laughs) and I did and then we put it out on Bandcamp and it's been selling steady you know and it's also on on Spotify and this and that yeah it's an anniversary you know it was was made in 1990 so 
why not? I mean, it's it's a good way to, to get your shops up and uh, you have to go through some serious uh, audio restoration stuff and you try new plugins, you try new ways to deal with old problems such as uh, tape noise and really crappy recordings, basically, you know. But it, it ends up sounding pretty good. No, that's that's awesome that you're keeping you're keeping busy, and I follow you quite a bit here on on the social media, and I see that you're doing a lot with Unisound and a lot with Suano merch. Yeah, Suano merch is is definitely we adapted to this kind of on demand stuff that a lot of other people did, and that was also in a, in a really in a good time to do it because it means we we actually. We print the stuff when it's ordered, and if it's only one or two guys who want that strange old shirt, then they're made. You know, they cost, I don't know, four or five euros more than a, a traditional screen print shirt. But this digital print looks amazing, and it's got so much detail, and you can do the, the most crazy-ass original stuff without thinking, oh, it's this nine colors, and, you know, it's just like print the stuff, you know, and it's all on top quality shirts by the best printers in Germany. And it's running really well. And we have more than 50 designs that people can just anytime, okay, I want that old Pandemonium album cover and that Edge of Sanity thing and just order it and, and we will ship it within like, at this point, it's a bit of a nightmare because some countries have like closed for mailing. <laughs> but ironically, oh. the guys from these countries are ordering more than ever, you know. So oh, the really? Americans and the Australians, they just keep ordering stuff. And we say, oh, sorry, we cannot ship this until your government say we can get mail. So we don't care. You know, we want to support. And yeah, it's really cool. I mean, some of these... Yeah, yeah but it. some of these shirts, I've dreamt my whole career to have that shirt available for like the six people in the world I know like that record or that thing. And finally, they, they can have it, you know, and I've in the past, I always like, when will you do that pandemonium shirt again? I say, never will 50 people, which is the minimum order for a screen print, <laughs> ever order a blue shirt with a fucking pink print of a of a monster made by a four year old. But now you can, you know, and they're like, yeah, I waited my whole life for this. Like, wow, it's so cool with an until eternity ends shirt or whatever that I think is like the ugliest thing ever. And that's one of the best sellers. And I'm like, uh, OK, fine, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, but it, it I think it might put in order for the uh, breathing yeah, shadow shirt is there the clothes and chronicles shirt the eye shirt alive again shirt invisible shirt nightfall overthrow shirt retribution shirt white darkness shirt you know it's all there you know and it was so cool to do all that the kind of prep work from from photoshop and all that stuff that kept me also busy and it's, it's actually my wife she is uh, the main main force behind Svona merch because I was super so not into this when we started, um, I think it, like six years ago, whatever, because I knew it would be a hassle to get all the originals because I don't want to take a CD, put it in a scanner and make a shirt out of it. So I'm like, I need a scan from the original painting or nothing, you know? That was my like, okay, but I don't have any originals. And then I found an original when I was cleaning out studio. I found the original from Chaos and Confusion by Paul Nilsson. I'm like, hmm, I actually have an original here, you know. 
yeah, we made a, a limited run of 50 shirts and they, they sold out. And I think, hmm, interesting. And, and then I managed to get in touch with uh, Christian Volin through his, his kind of manager or co-conspirator Samuel Durling and said, hey, could we like get a good scan of Purgatory Afterglow? And he was like, yeah, no problem. Christian, he will do it and he don't need any, any money for it. Just send him a shirt. And we were like, what? That's like the coolest thing. And so we got Crimson 2 uh, along with the deal, you know, also scanned from the original painting. And uh, we got a license for the Spectre of Sorrows from Dan Seagrave. We got also a free license from Duncan Store for the Crimson. You know, it was just like, wow, when I had the original of an Orthodox, I know it was lying around in um, Blackmark headquarters. So I paid them a visit there. I brought some stuff, you know, and including, of course, the originals for the first two albums. So everything is, is like only a scan away. And that stuff is then printed on the shirts. That's why they, they are so awesome. Well, that's, that's awesome. And that just-in-time merchandising is, is super convenient. I've seen a shift. I uh, know even Opeth is doing this kind of on-demand stuff now. And I guess, uh, like all other stuff, these kind of digital printing machines from Brother that they use, they get better and better. And, and, you know, the more people use them, the more there is a need for maybe new innovations on how to make them more efficient and, and this and that. But I was actually there at the printing factory from Artworks in Dortmund here in Germany to make sure that I wanted to know what it is like when you do this because i'm putting my reputation on the line here i don't want to sell any any weird stuff you know so i saw it how they they pick this top quality gildan shirts and they do it first in this kind of machine to make it uh, like really smooth and then they do some stuff on it and then they do it in this other machine to do this and that and then they carefully put this in the printer and then the printer is doing this weird little thing there and then this go in this dryer and you know it's like it's not really like an easy process, you know, it's a little bit easier than screen printing, but it's really turning out super awesome. And I am so happy that we have this uh, feedback, you know, and we do custom shirts also. There's this guy who used to work for Century Media. He ordered like a gray until eternity ends shirt because he, he always wanted one, but there was never one. And there's this other guy, he wanted to have this in white or whatever, and just why not, you know? doesn't cost us any extra <laughs> so it's pretty cool that is super cool kind of having a yeah a custom band shirt that's wicked yeah some cool ghost designs you know <laughs> well, we were just inquiring about the beginning of ghost and that's kind of where you got your start with your music career right yeah ghost my first band was called ford's which is uh, okay. named after the, the auto brand, <laughs> together with my two older brothers. And there's, um, there's some stuff that we recorded there that also actually ended up on a Nightingale record. So um, I like recycling music. <laughs> but my first proper band that actually did stuff like demos and concerts, and that was Ghost. And um, we started at the end of 83, I think it was yesterday, it was 35 years ago since we played the first real big show that we did. We did, like the premiere was a couple of months earlier in front of like 15 friends in the place that later became the first incarnation of Unisound in Finspong. It was my brother's rehearsal room at the time. That's like a classic memory still, you know, the first live show in front of 
of friends. I, I still remember everything from that gig. I was 10 years old and I was shitting bricks. I was so nervous. And uh, yeah, that was that was really cool. And But to play in front of your whole school, that was pretty messed up because you had like, I think a total of like maybe 200 kids or whatever showing up in two different concerts. And, and when you would mess up, you know, you would... That was the end of it being cool at school, you know, but the second show was amazing. And I remember the, the sixth graders, the old kids, I was only in fifth grades. They were kind of storming to this kind of barrier from some kind of, it was in, in, the, in the gym hall, you know, and we just put some stuff down that looks like here ends the stage because there was no stage. We were standing on the ground. So they, they just came up to this kind of gym things that you could do down from the roof. It's like a, some kind of wood barricade thing and they there's a photo of my brother rocking in his kimono and there's just a ton of kids standing there just rocking out and that was in the the local newspaper like ghost rocking at school and whatever and you i remember i had the rest of the day off and i walk home and i felt like a rock star still in my stage wear all sweaty from drumming like crazy like fucking made it you know <laughs> i remember that that was that was a really a big thing and ghost went from from there we were joined by a bass player called Pedro Unison. Uh, the, the keyboarder was Anders Moreby. He also played on Crimson and some stuff on uh, Theater of Tragedy. He was a guest musician. And uh, he also played a little bit on the Infernal album from Edge of Sanity. We were a trio and we did lots of gigging around Österjötland, which is our kind of, what you call it, municipality, our little part of Sweden there. We were gigging around and uh, we became a, a five-piece in the beginning of 1988 and then we changed the name to Icarus the singer quit we became Unicorn and Unicorn officially ended at in 1999 I think so kind of me and Anders played together from 83 to 99 without any any break and then we had just became two completely different persons and uh, we just was not really like a fight or whatever I just felt mm, we're too far apart to, to be in a band we had done some some attempt to to make a third unicorn album but it just didn't work you know it's like he was out on his trip he was actually one of the best uh, classical guitar players in the world and i was like a death metal producer he was like uh, okay <laughs> where do we find common ground here you know it was <laughs> pretty strange and i must add that when you want to hear my ghost the real ghost not this pope fake band you know um you can buy it on vinyl from bone records it's a double vinyl you can buy it on cd uh, i put it for my own money on spotify and you know wherever you can listen to music these days but it's called ghost adp on spotify because we could not be ghost of course you know and I don't know. This just so ghosts too big to have another band called Ghosts releasing shit on. So we are um, Ghost ADP on Spotify, and there you can listen to some shit that is not on the double vinyl. Some Spotify exclusive stuff. Oh, nice! <laughs> nice exclusives are always good. With that, you've worked with so many other bands. Like not only you know being quite successful with. Edge of Sanity and Nightingale and, and Unicorn. You've worked with, you know, Catatonia to Dissection, Therion. It's just the, the, the list is, is seemingly endless. What are some of your experiences with some of these bands and what's maybe like something that you really enjoy listening to still to this day? I want to see the, the first kind of, I can always say that, that you can divide my 
my audio career in, into more pieces because there was like a time when I just did it for fun, you know, and that eventually led up to me kind of having to start a studio or stop recording because I just couldn't do both because the demand was too big. And then I started Unisound Recordings in 93 and I had the privilege to work with Opeth on the first two albums. I did the sections, first two albums, Catatonia's first two albums and uh, lots of EPs and, and their first demo and stuff like that. I did Marduk, the first three albums or yeah and some always with these other band it was like oh there's a compilation thing here or can we record a seven inch or there's this one track you know so it's it's a lot of stuff and and uh i think i'm not sure but i think the most successful bands in terms of sales stuff is melancholin which is this kind of skate punk band they're touring all over the world still these crazy guys and uh they, they gave me my only gold record. I um, recorded everything they did from the second demo up until the third album when I actually closed shop. And they moved to work with, with Brett from Bad Religion, which was kind of surreal. You know, they go from me to that guy. It's like, uh, okay. But uh, that, was, that was pretty cool. Yeah, so I've done so much stuff. And, and then I, I quit recording and mixing in, in 97 because that was the first shift from analog gear to digital gear. Bands were coming to me and say, oh, when we record with this other guy or my neighbor's band, you could like copy and paste and you could make shit better when clicking with the mouse and the, you know, say, no, I'm not going down that digital rabbit hole. It's not ready yet, you know. So rather than investing in some premature kind of Pro Tools-ish rig, I decided to, to give up and take a fucking day job. And that was that. And go back to to having the kind of vibe when I was a musician and recording and going to factory school in the you know late 80s and early 90s. That was the boring thing you did during the day. And then you looked forward to like, yeah, I can record, I can write, you know, all that stuff. But when you were doing it full time, gradually lost the love for writing uh, music because you heard fucking riffs and metal 24-7. 380 days a year. That's what it felt like. <laughs> yeah. right? You're just like, oh, no, I have to write my own fucking record and it's two weeks off, you know, or I'd rather just sit here and look out, you know. But, um, yeah, that's what you had to do. And I finally had enough. And that gave a little bit the vibe back to, to do my own shit. And then I did Moon Tower. This period of time, I also did uh, The Balkan Masquerade, two albums. I did some local band stuff. Uh, I recorded the very first Wolf 7-inch I did the very first stuff with the Project Hate, which is still going on to this very day, you know, just because it was fun, you know, for the fun of it, you know. I did that on and off, producing a couple of records a year for others on my own shit mainly. And then I um, I did like a comeback in uh, 2004, 2005, because I got an email from a, a band that I'm still working together with to this very day called November's Doom from Chicago, America. And they wanted to work with me because they liked my stuff. And it was like they, they didn't get it that I was out of the business for like a long time. And uh, they were pretty persistent. You know, no, we want you to work on it. We love your stuff. And uh, and I said, oh, why not? You know, let's try this. Let's just mix. And, and over the Internet, we send emails. I send you MP3 files. And, you know, you listen in your home stereos and you tell me what to change. And I do it because I saw the whole computer recording thing you know, from the inside, being working in, the, in a music shop, being, uh, you know, the, the studio 
sales guy. You know, I, I saw the first Macs that you could actually record audio on. And uh, I know in, in the in the previous interview we did <laughs> that that only happened in <laughs> in the Twilight Zone. Uh, you asked me about some some blunder, or was this in this interview in the beginning? Oh, that was that was Maybe? that was in this that was in this one this this interview right yeah, in the beginning. So yeah, sorry, but <laughs> yeah. I just I just remember another one, oh, which yeah? was uh, pretty cool. Yeah, the first time I ever recorded an album inside a computer only was the, the Jesus Satan album from Infested, which is my satanic death metal project mm -hmm. that I had uh, with Andreas from Edge of Sanity. And I was recording on, on a beige Mac G3, was like 200 megahertz thing or whatever. And um, yeah, also there, I managed to uh, delete the whole album without any backups. And oh. And like the panic I had in me because I had like a 9,000 euro budget and I didn't know any of the songs and I just saw myself having to pay the money back that I had already spent or I had to, you know, re-record everything, but there was no time. It was chaos. And then I remember this customer I had who was like a Mac, Apple Mac specialist. And it was like one in Sweden because Apple Mac in, that was like before the iMac thing, you know? Yeah. I remember going to his house and he helped me unthrash the thrash can to get all the files back. And that costed me a lot of money because it was super expensive. But I remember it being in panic, just taking the computer, going in a taxi, go to his home. Hi, it's me. You have to help me. Fuck. You know, I just deleted an album worth of music and I don't know how to get the shit back. You know, I still remember the panic. It was terrible. But he, with some, some fancy software, and because I hadn't done anything else, that was, you know, he could dive down into the, to the thrash can and just kind of undelete all the weird files there. And eventually it all just fell into place. <laughs> and I could mix the album and that wow. was that. You know? <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that was super <laughs> scary because that was not such an easy fix as the bloodbath you know that was oh let's come back and re-record it and write another song and get a good record deal and boom you know but th that was that was a really nasty moment in time and since then i don't know i have like 1800 backups of everything everywhere because i learned the hard way not to empty the trash can of your computer without knowing what the fuck you're doing <laughs> oh man <laughs> that's that's totally that's yeah i'd be in total panic mode a lot of people that I interview with Epic Phelan are, are independent business people or, or, you know, have their own thing going on. They may be a startup. Seeing as how you've, you've seen quite a bit of success, like what would you say is like one of the biggest things to apply to get you to where you're going or to keep you successful? Or what would you say is kind of the secret sauce that got Dan Swano to where he's at? Well, it, it's, it's been a long, long pretty bumpy ride but i think what i've done especially since my kind of reboot in 2004 is that i kind of swore an oath to uh, never leave a customer unsatisfied and always make sure because i felt actually that all the all the demos and all the records i did up until i quit in 97 they all had some major flaws i heard them and i knew the band heard them and they kept coming back i kept getting jobs but i just never felt like they became 
as good as they could have been because there was just no time. You had to mix it in a day or two and then the next band showed up the next day and that was that, you know, no time to remix. There was no easy form at all. Then my friend would remix it because he would need then my gear, you know what I mean? So the only kind of business card you should leave is a perfect mix because when the band is super happy, they will mention this. They will talk about you. It, it will be a positive vibe. And I remember just a couple of weeks after doing the November's Doom album, I got another band to mix from Chicago. I was like, well, this seems to be working, you know, that idea that you should make sure that the band is super happy. Even if it doesn't really mean that, that you are super happy, they are super happy. That's the most important thing. Just leave your ego out of it. And if they want a sound which is a little bit out of your comfort zone, just get there for them and do it. And this is still my thing today. I mean, I just make sure that I treat every project with the respect it deserves and, and make sure that the clients are happy. You know, that's really all there is to it. You know, you just need to, uh, to make sure that it's hard. There's no secret thing like, oh, you have to advertise over there. You have to go to that forum and do this. Just have to, to do your best at all times. Because I learned from history that some of the stuff I did at the demo stage that I felt was so crappy that I kind of wanted to call in sick and they just had to go home. They gave me the only gold record I ever had, and that was Millencolin. Uh -huh. So I kind of learned from from <laughs> from them and all the other stuff that I did, you know, at the demo stage or mix the first album with them. They just you like keep working with this, you know, give them a discount if that's what they need, and then they got a major deal. They come back to you because you were nice to them in a time, you know. It just like I don't think there's really any other industry like this one to compare. You know, it it's, must be a nightmare to just say, hey, I want to open a recording studio. Uh, how do I get clients? Yeah, I get asked that question a lot. And it's not easy because the fact is that uh, still a lot of my clients, they come to me also because I am who I am, the guy who recorded this and that or played in Edge of Sanity. You know, that's still a, a big thing. And I respect that, you know, it's it's like super cool for me. It, it's kind of a payback for I had to, what I had to go through sometimes in this fucking genre. And now I get work off of it. You know, it keeps me a little bit ahead of the competition that maybe sonically and the price range is the same, but they are not a known name that they can tell to their friends, you know, and uh, yeah. in most most underground metal circles. Some of the bands I have worked with will ring a bell, even when my name or my band names don't. But yeah, he worked with Opeth and Catatonia and Dissection, you know, and it's like, oh, wow, you know. <laughs> so that's really cool. That's a, a cool bit. All right. Um, are we going to see anything uh, new coming out? Something like Nightingale or other musical endeavors? No, I, I am actually in one of those kind of... I, I took a time out, was it 10 years ago almost? And I also did a lot of of only remixing and working on, on stuff. And then I, I did the Retribution album, the first With Escape and the second With Escape and the With Escape EP. And I just completely burnt myself out as a musician and fucked my throat up a little bit by doing too much growling in too short of a time. And I'm still suffering from from that kind of vocal 
vibe, you know. So I, I decided that I will um, take a time out from being a musician and let that kind of come back organically when, when the time is right. And just completely focusing on my audio career, mixing and mastering and also doing all that other shit like restoring, transferring tapes, you know, and... I honestly, I'm not super inspired by by the way the world works also with you have to go touring again if you want to do some sales, you know. It it was more inspiring in the 90s to to put together projects and and release them because, you know, it was another vibe. I am not inspired by the current vibe of of the music industry. I I was kind of bummed out that nothing happened with Witherscape because I think it's the best shit I ever did in metal and it just went nowhere. Ended up on, on, you know, it's like, huh? I do my fucking best here. And what do I need to do to, to get it to the level where, where people even know that this stuff exists? Yeah, you have to do the full machine. You don't have to go touring, you know. It's no excuse that, I, hey, but it's me releasing some stuff, you know. No, it's, it's, it's really, really cooler for me to work with the, with, the, with the Sonic stuff. And I'm still, after 20 years, working with the Second Sky album, which is my masterpiece that never seems to be be done. Mm. As soon as I get any chance, you know, I was working with it, uh, working on it today, actually, before you you called. Yeah, it's it's in like one of those things that I always go back to and and refine and make it. You know, it's it's more of a sonic thing actually. That the music's been there since like twenty years. At some point, that one will be my next release. I don't know how many more years it will take, but as far as other projects go, Witherscape and Nightingale, nothing new coming out maybe some remix or whatever that kind of stuff but no new music it, it's enough out there you know they don't they don't need my uninspired b-sides they need my a-game <laughs> and uh, I, i'm not in an a-game mood uh, uh, since a lot of a lot of years actually but that was the state i was in before i put the material together for retribution and the witherscape albums and those turn out pretty cool so sometimes you just need to back off and 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 heal you know what are you listening to right now? Both Dan and Necronaut. <laughs> this new band from Vancouver called Spell. Kind of interested in that. It, uh, they got a new album out on Bandcamp called Opulent Decay. So yeah, I don't know. It just kind of caught my attention. It sounds like a kind of a kind of ghost kind of music, or is it? It's similar. It's similar, but different in its own way. Oh, that's cool. I've been listening to um, the stuff that I'm mixing. You know that that's the thing about having <laughs> having to work uh, up to like ten hours a day with music, is that it's not like woohoo! I have to listen to other bands' music. But I have been. Uh, is, is there such a thing as passive listening? <laughs> like yes. passive smoke. <laughs> My wife uh, been listening a lot to the latest Catatonia album. Oh yeah, I've heard it. You know, then through, because I'm working from home, and when when she is in the mood, she just crank the Genelex and it's super loud. And then I hear the new Catatonia, even if I don't want to. But uh, what I'm hearing is actually <laughs> really good. And I actually turned her on to it because I heard the lacquer, the the single. I listened to it and I was like, "Wow, yeah, this is this is so uh, my wife's music taste." And she she's just kind of super into that song i think it's on on her like top 10 of all time and then um, she listened to the rest yeah she liked that kind of kind of uh, metal i've been doing a lot of of work with music that i think i will also enjoy 
once I come down a little bit from it, like there's a band called Oceans of Slumber from America. I mixed their uh, upcoming album on Century Media, and that is uh, quite the masterpiece, I must say. It's, it's really, really a good album. I don't know if you've heard them or heard of them. I'll have to check them out for sure. They have the potential to go all the way and be like super big. There's some there's some stuff on that album that that could actually cross over into being like a really like Evanescence hit thing because there's an excellent female vocalist and there's a super good growling guy, super competent musicianship all around and uh, yeah they have Sony in their back through Century Media. So I think I think they they will do well. You know they're kind of Opeth meets um, slightly more like metal with female clean vocals you know it's like a really good blend of slightly more accessible vibe and then they go in down a rabbit hole of super weird prog shit and it's like some of the most bombastic if not the most bombastic piece of music i have ever mixed in my life is on that record it's just like so fucking enormous the oh, drums wow. sound like you drop fucking containers in an empty warehouse like mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so massive. And I thought, they're never going to go for this. And he's like, oh, we love it. This is exactly what we want. And I was like, wow, we're on the same page here, you know. Uh, that, that's really good. Yeah, and I, I've done so much stuff, you know. I would actually have to look it up on my webpage. That's the one that stuck out, and I think it's cool. I've done some some really cool shit with so many different bands. And, um, yeah, just go to unisound.se. If you want to check out what I am working on now, what I've done, you know, quite recently, and also what I will be doing in the future, so that's perfect. Uh, so, yeah, I just listened to my to my old stuff. I have like a thousand songs that I've collected since I was a teenager, and I just listen to them on and on. I actually listen to podcasts rather than music these days, and oh, I, I listen a lot to so something called URM, Unstoppable Recording Machine. It's really a super cool podcast about, I mean, I was a guest there too, uh, talking to him like I do now about stuff, but it's more from like a recording, mixing, talking about how to make it in the industry. And and he interviewed all kinds of cool people that, that worked on really cool albums. And uh, Jens Bogren have been there, Daniel Bergstrand, Fredrik Nordström, all these kind of cool Swedish guys and also American dudes. You had all kinds of guys, cover artists, you have managers, you have industry personnel. It's, it's really, really good. And um, I'm a super fan. And I also listen to a KISS podcast called Alex Room Service, which is in Swedish. But this guy is so nerdy. I just love it. He can talk like for an hour about like one song on a KISS record and and I'm just like fanboying the whole episode through like yeah damn, that's so cool that he noticed this little weird thing too and that after the chorus it's like uh, uh you know it's like wow and this guy has thousands and thousands of listeners <laughs> and it's a super nerdy KISS podcast it's it's super no that's that's awesome that's awesome so unisound.se to check out the projects that you're working on and for Swano merch how can people follow you there yeah it's swanomerch.com you can find us on instagram swano merch and facebook swano merch I, I guess the easiest way is just to 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 google s-w-a-n-o-m-e-r-c-h.com and we will pop up there in google or bing or whatever you're using maybe Alta Vista or Netscape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> um.
All right on. Well, thank you so much, Dan. It was amazing. And thank you, Necronaut, for co-hosting with me today. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. Let's uh, maybe have you on again at, at some point. And until next time, stay epic. Thanks again for listening to Epic Phelan. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe. Give me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at RealRyanPhelan. And visit my website at thecalgaryrealestateguy.com. Until next time, stay epic.